You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. Just to remind us as we read this this morning that most of us here are Christians. That means we are followers of Jesus Christ. We've given our lives to Him. We believe in Him. We love Him. And we are following in a way that we hope would be worthy of His calling on our lives. As we begin reading at verse 5, one person esteems one day above another Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, and for, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose again, and rose and lived again, and that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ." For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace And joy in the Holy Spirit, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. We've been going through principles in the last, uh, last week and this week, principles for handling disputable or doubtful or gray matters. 
all those things that are unique about us. This is not about doctrine. This is about how we practice our Christianity, how we flesh that out. We all bring to the table all kinds of unique differences from our background, how we were raised, how we eventually fleshed out who we are as an adult. Uh, Young people are still forming themselves in many of these things, but uh, all of us bring these things, and we find that we're uniquely different. And sometimes we disagree on those differences, and we're trying to avoid a a problem or a rift in the church where we begin to sort of analyze and hold each other up in judgment or in criticism for how people are different than we are. That is a problem. And so we want to address that. We've already processed through Romans 12 and 13 because we need basic precepts to give us a foundation for how we then process chapter 14. And so again, I want to remind you again, every time you go through Romans 14, always be quick to go back to Romans 12.1. Always be processing that I have, first of all, given my life to the Lord as a living sacrifice. If I have done that and I am in the process of always doing that, that will then help flesh out all the things about my life and your life that we can have problems with and we can lay those things down and have a peace and harmony with each other That's how every husband and wife is going to get along. That's how your kids are going to have a good home life if parents are doing that. And that's how uh, hopefully you uh, mature students will also be doing the same thing. And peace will come into your home and blessing if that's true. Romans 14, then Paul gives this, really this uh, message on how we process that that through with eight principles that we're going to look at. We already have done the first four Uh, We're going to jump in at principle number five this morning. Let me just review very quickly what those principles are so you can remember. I kind of put them on the back of your bulletin. The first principle was that we should be absolutely uh, convinced in our mind that what I choose to do in my my, uh, sort of gray areas is between God and I, and I'm absolutely convinced that it's okay. Then we said, am I pleasing the Lord with my decision? Is it really honoring Him? We went on to say uh, at verse uh, 13 and 14, am I a stumbling block? I need to process that. Then in the uh, verse 14 to 15, am I expressing love uh, in my life towards others and towards the Lord? And then we left off, I believe, uh, I believe that's where we left off. So we're starting at verse uh, 17 this morning. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let me just pause for a second before we do this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not a Christian, I would, and I said this last week, I would anticipate that most people who are not following Jesus expect Christians to be different. Most people who know something about Christianity, but maybe don't have a personal walk with Christ, would certainly hold us to a standard higher than themselves. And so because of that, we must be careful that we don't lower our standards to just sort of be buddies with everybody in the world so that no one's offended by how we say to no to certain things. Uh, Dave Adams was here last week as a guest. He's here next week preaching uh, Dave and I uh, had gone into Princeton University to take a course together. Uh, it was a summer course, and so we were sitting in class with all mostly pastors, a very mixed bag of people, as you can imagine, at Princeton. 
And uh, there, uh, each night we had to go eat somewhere, and so there was a pizza place right on campus, so we went there. And uh, we walked in, and there were three female pastor students who were sitting at a table, and it was a big round table, and they called out when they saw us, hey guys, come over and join us. And so we came over and sat down, and they offered us a beer, because they had a pitcher of beer in their mugs, and... Uh, if anybody here knows Dave, he's not very polite at times. He's way more abrupt than I am. I was angry already and uh, just said, no, thank you. And we both tried to just hold it back. And as soon as we said, no, thank you, we got hammered. You think, you think you're better than we are? You know, uh, you know, we're pastors. We read the Bible. It, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. You know, what, what's your problem? You know, and, and it just went, now, where, where'd you guys, where are you guys from? So I'm from Liberty University, and I'm from a Baptist church, and they did not like any of that. So uh, it was a really tough meal to swallow our food. We did not want to leave the table. That would have been rude. We finished our pizza and quietly left, but I know we were the uh, talk of the, of the crowd after we left. There's just something about certain people that want to just put their agenda on you. And you have to be so careful. And so, uh, obviously, as we uh, go into this text today, I want to say to those of you who may not be Christians that this is not a legalistic approach to how we might view someone who doesn't think like we do. This is an in-house, in-the-body-of-Christ uh, process of how we then apply biblical principles to our life as we've been called by Jesus. And I want to say one more time, this is not about judging one another or critiquing one another. This is about my personal individual responsibility to Christ, how I translate his word for me. And so that's something that we do. But I do hold this standard that I assume that the world would say I should somehow have different standards or a a different way of thinking about certain things than those who are in the world who don't care about Jesus. That's just said. uh, Let's go into uh, verse uh, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So a number five principle, if you have your notes there, is this. Am I more concerned with self or with serving Christ? This is a principle I must sift through as I think about my freedoms. And the definition here of the kingdom of God is very important. He says it's not about eating and drinking. So it's not about all those choices that we have. The kingdom of God is all about three things. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, The kingdom of God is about uh, walking in a righteous way because we're trying to honor Jesus Christ. The the kingdom of God is about establishing peace with God and the peace of God in my life so that I have peace with you in your lives. And it's certainly about joy. We should be joyful. And a believer who finds themselves in a very non-joyful attitude has a breakage in their relationship with Christ because you can't say I'm right with God and not have joy in your life. So we need to analyze ourselves constantly about that. This whole thing about self is the issue. This is not describing, when we talk about uh, my choices in my life as a believer, it's not talking about describing my my own personal uh, private experience with God. You know, where I can soak up his grace and then just enjoy all of the pleasures of life with, with a completely guiltless conscience. 
It's not about that at all. Uh, year, a few years ago, I think I was ranting about uh, an article in the paper, the little paper that we all get in Sugar Creek and uh, Millersburg and all around here. Some of you get it in Dover. And the uh, Christian writer was talking about grace and had much reaction to her comments because she was basically basically saying that uh, if you discover freedom in Jesus Christ in his grace, then you're no longer a sinner. You no longer have sin. And she kept going on that for weeks. And I kept saying to myself, wow, that, that, that doesn't describe me. I got mad yesterday. Just because you have God's grace means you're not going to be uh, standing before judgment. You're not going to be standing f- before God in judgment. Yes, I am forgiven in Christ. He paid for my sin. But he holds me responsible for still how I act as a believer. And I'm still flawed until I step into glory. And so because of that, we have to process that. We're talking today about belonging to a body of believers, in this case, Alpine Bible Church, with people who recognize their responsibility in being joined with others. It's a a responsibility. We approach it that way. And I should be always seeking the pursuit of righteousness. That's my responsibility. I should be always extending peace to all of you in the name of Jesus. We should live together in this place in the joy of the Lord. And I hope next week we see that and sense that, but you can start today. That'd be, okay. That'd be great. We're not saved and set free from sin so that we can now just you know, expand our boundaries. That's not what this is all about. Well, I'm free in Jesus. Now I can do all kinds of stuff. No, that's not what this is about. We have to be very careful. Verse 18, he says, For he who serves Christ in these things. And he's talking about all these freedoms that you and I could have that we might call gray areas. He says, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. The Lord's always going to be in favor of how we consider others before we consider ourselves. Our intentional, I want to talk this morning about intentional sacrifices that we make in order to draw people or lift up others uh, closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the objective that we should all have. Now, some have, again, as I said, have completely misrepresented this. And let me uh, show you where they completely misrepresent. If you go to 1 Corinthians real quick at chapter 9, you'll see how our fellow believers, some of them, misunderstand what Paul says. And if you're a new believer, you need to understand here as well what Paul is saying to us in 1 Corinthians and chapter 9. He's talking about this freedom that we have because we've been saved and set free by His grace. So in verse 19, he begins, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law, as under the law that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without the law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker of it with you. 
Some have taken that completely out of context and are trying to say that he's saying uh, in that text that I can go into a, a bar and have a beer with a bunch of guys or drink a 7-7 or a, a tonic and gin or whatever. I can go in and do that and with my ultimate goal is to uh, befriend somebody and then, and then eventually uh, have a chance to share Christ with them. It might not happen tonight, but that's my end goal. And that is not what he's saying. He's not talking about how much more I can be free to do things and then try to tag on my motives. Oh, this is all for Jesus. No, I don't think so. And, and if you'll notice all of Paul's writings, he never focuses on what he can do. It's always what he sacrifices himself to do. All of Paul's writing. It's all about sacrifice and servanthood. It's never about new freedoms. So when someone takes Paul's writings and tries to say, well, he's talking about uh, to the weak, uh, so to those who, uh, have, who struggle in certain areas, I'll be like them, and to those who have strength, I'll be like them. Yeah, I know what he's saying, but here you just notice this. He's just reminding us in that text that this is all about uh, the expansion of the gospel, and it's always about sacrificial decisions, never about uh, you know, diving into new freedoms that are not mine. We'll cover that in a bit. I just want to kind of sort of lay that track down. Leads us to our sixth principle here, going back to our text at verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. And it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Principle six, am I doing all I can to build up Christ's body? May God help us to think like this. In verse 19, at the end of verse 19, that we would be pursuing this. He says, the things by which one may edify another. One of the top priorities in my heart and my mind and my life is that when I do something, when I choose to do something, it will be to build you up, not to tear you down. It will always be to encourage uh, and and instill in others uh, a closer sense of who Christ is than to do the opposite or to cause question marks, which would be the wrong thing to be doing. Whatever freedom you and I have to exercise, and there are many things we could list out this morning, will our choices then uh, build up the saints around us? Will they do that? Uh, uh, it's, it, if you can just catch the responsibility of this, it's such a great responsibility. Matter of fact, think about representing the Lord Jesus Christ to whomever you come in contact with. When you uh, leave this room today and you get back in your car, you are still a representative of Jesus to your family in that car. If you're going to get in that car and start to knit and pick and prick away and cause an argument that maybe you picked up from yesterday, you know, somehow I'm just telling you, you've lost the sense of what it means of who you represent. I'm guilty and so are you. Because I'm not always perfect. Marilyn and I are going through some stuff. Well, yesterday I was at a meeting with a stepping out, and I got a couple of calls, and I knew in the calls I'm, we're dealing with something. <laughs> a difference of opinion. 
And when you're doing that, obviously, it's just how you don't go into protect mode or uh, explanation mode or defense mode. You go into always, you go into yield mode. Because if you're yielding, then you're listening. And, and with you and I here, when we have differences of opinion, whether it's at a committee meeting or if it's serving Jesus somewhere or maybe it's just in a conversation that comes up and you hear something contrary to how you think, our tendencies are to get fleshly and try to defend and, and go on the attack. And again, I'm just saying to us that this is a case where I've got to remind myself constantly what I say, what I do, how I think, how I respond. All of that should be for your benefit and your building up and your edification. No one's off the hook on this one, including me. What a privilege, however. When you think about this, I represent Jesus. What a privilege we have. Mike Pompeo, he gets, uh, he gets to become Secretary of State. He gets to travel and represent the United States and the president. He's honored to do that, by the way, when you hear him talk. When I just think about who I represent and when I go places and do things and go through the motions of my life and whether it's just the simple things of pumping gas or buying something to eat or you know whatever I'm doing, just looking around me for who's around me to just be a representative of how I respond and how I uh, exchange with people. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we all know this, that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. But I like the next phrase he adds to that. He says, as though, as though God were pleading through us. When I, again, apply that knowledge to myself, I, I'm thinking I have an opportunity every day to address people in a certain way in which God could plead through me for his causes through my lips. And he graces us with that privilege of being his representative. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can you answer this with me? Is God able to plead through your life today? Or are people around you receiving a different kind of message? And we have to process that and ask ourselves that. Number seven, verse 22 He says, do you have faith? Now, that's the translation in the New King James, probably the King James. Do you have faith? If you have another Bible, maybe an ESV or something, it might say this. The faith that you have. Okay, It starts out different. One's a question and one's a statement. They both mean the same thing. Do you have faith? I happen to like it better this way because what he's doing is he's pointing back in that statement of preparation. He's pointing us back to verse 5. He's pointing back to, are you absolutely convinced about this? Do you have faith? Are you absolutely convinced? And then he goes on to say, have it to yourself. Do this in private. Whatever freedom you have that might be a concern. You know, uh, if there's something that you would like to enjoy, uh, something you feel that is acceptable before the Lord, Years ago, we had a family. Uh, we're good friends. We're good friends today. He's a president of a mission agency in Canada. Our kids grew up together. Uh, we still, their kids come through and stay at our house when they're passing through to go to Canada. Uh, and you know, we're all just connected. Uh, but while our kids were in high school, 
they had a completely sort of loose sense of, they had no restrictions. They, they, they weren't a family that had a list of rules for their kids. I'm a pastor with my kids, and so much more guarded, and so much more defensive on, look, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, because I'm at stake here as well as you. I try not to do that to my kids, but obviously at some point you have to set some barriers. Now, our youth group uh, was starting to go to homes after church on Sunday nights just to hang out, and I thought it was a very positive thing. But every time they go to this particular family's house, for some reason the TV would come on, and they had a satellite, and every channel in the universe was on their TV, and inevitably it'd be some movie that really you know, was probably R-rated and we shouldn't be watching it, and it'd be on. Now, kids are goofing around, talking, having food. And uh, I just remember this one night when my daughter called me up from the house and said, Dad, uh, I am so uncomfortable. And I said, why? So she told me what they were watching. And I said, well, honey, you know, uh, you're a big girl. You've got to make your decisions about what you want to do. I can't go and tell the family to shut the TV off. I'm not going to do that. But you have a responsibility to do it how you should. So my loving daughter then, as a, I think she was a junior in high school, stood up her friends all around her and said, I can't do this, guys. I just can't. I can't watch this. I just don't feel right. I don't feel like this is what Jesus wants me to do. And she walked out. What a sermon. And she walked out, went out in the kitchen, and then called me up again and said, can you come pick me up? I said, yes, I'll be glad to. So I went and picked her up. After that event, you know, obviously, some of the students, so I talked with the parents after that, just about the TV and stuff, and They don't have a clue what their kids are watching, and they aren't even worried about it. And guess what? Their kids are wonderful people today because we used to analyze that. Their kids are going to be terrible when they grow up. When they get out of the house, they're just going to be rebel rebels. They're going to be deep in sin, and our kids are going to be pure as angels. Today, all their kids are in the ministry, all serving Christ all wonderful people, wonderful parents. I won't tell you about my, my kids. Uh, my daughter's an angel. I can say that. My son's more like me. But I can tell you this, that uh, there was a, uh, certainly a lesson there, even in spite of all of that, because in the ensuing conversations, my daughter was able to uh, just, without condemning anybody else, but just saying, I can't do this for myself, made her decision. And after that, they never watched that kind of stuff again. No one said, you cannot do this. But somehow in a peer uh, reaction to something, sometimes that's far more powerful. But in doing that and having the courage to take a position without condemning anybody else, the overflow of that was how it affected everyone else, and they realized this is not a good thing. This is hurting some people, and we're certainly not honoring Christ. Is it absolutely sinful to watch something like that? I, I'm not going to tell you that. I don't think I have to. We have a grid called our Word of God to do all that instead of me. Here's the thing, though. We need to be very careful that we're not being misled sometimes by a false sense of approval because sometimes we can talk ourselves into things that we think are okay. And you have to always analyze, okay, what are my motives behind the choices that I'm making for myself? What are my motives behind that? Why do I do that? Why do I need to have that? Why do I need to think this way? 
And if we understand that and think through some of these things, I, I think what's happening is that we might have to remind ourselves that every action I take, every thought I think, every hidden thought, all of that is exposed and all of that is naked before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he sees everything, knows everything, and obviously, my dear saints, the Lord wants us to take him seriously, and if something is blocking that, we're in trouble. So he writes in verse 23, number 8, principle, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So the last principle is simply this, am I feeling guilty about this? You know, uh, if at any point in our lives our conscience feels pricked about something, you know, just, you just know, uh, uh, what I'm choosing to do, I think God sending me a message is probably not the right thing. I don't think I'm pleasing him. And maybe you get that sense sometimes about certain things. I'm, I don't drink. I'll tell you why in a bit. But... Uh, I, was, I led this boy to Christ. He's a Catholic kid and uh, went to visit his home several times. And his parents were Italian, full Italian. They had vineyards and wine. They made their own wine and all that. And so at Christmas time, they uh, sent him to the house and gave us a bottle of wine. It was probably really good stuff. I have no idea. You know, uh, we took the bottle and, uh, you know, uh, uh, having been raised good Baptist. <laughs> We hid the bottle <laughs> because we don't want any of our fellow believers to see a bottle of wine in our house. So we hid it. We hid it so well, we forgot about it. So, you know, years later, we sold the house. We're going to move to the States. So I got, you know, 25, 30 people helping us pack and all this stuff. And somebody found this bottle hidden, I, I tucked up underneath in a shelf in a, in a cooler room, you know, and it's really hidden well, which makes us look way more guilty, (laughs) way more guilty. And they pull it out and go, pastor, what's this? (laughs) And I said, well, crack it open. (laughs) It's been closed for like eight years. Go ahead, crack it open. It's probably good. I have no idea. David, remember David? He gave gave that to me. Oh, boy. The stuff we, uh, we feel guilty about. If I had ever popped that cork and took a drink, I would have been absolutely guilty because of how I was raised. But not just because of how I was raised, because I'm going to tell you why I don't in just a moment, and you'll understand. But it, when, when he writes this in verse 23, he wants us to realize again that it may not be sin for someone else in some of our choices, but for us, if we're sensing anything about that at all from the Holy Spirit, that's a warning. And here's another thing about this. If what I choose to do is, is not a problem for me at all, but rather if I'm feeling guilty because I might be expressing liberty and causing someone else to question or maybe even to, to fall into the same habit that they've never had before, if, if they see me doing that, that's a bigger issue. And that's what he's talking about when he says it's sin. We have to remind ourselves that it may not be sin that I'm doing something. It may be sin that I'm choosing to do a freedom, but in the wrong way and using it for the wrong purposes and in the wrong places. 
So the sin may not be the issue. The sin may be simply that I'm pressing the issue when I really shouldn't be in certain circumstances, which is why he said earlier, have it to yourself. Uh, I, 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 I joke with Marilyn. I said, look, I said, we got this bottle. This is when we first got it. We got this bottle. What are you going to do with it? And we were talking about, you know, what to do. If I'm not putting it in the fridge. I said, well, why don't we just crack it and drink it right now? Nobody will know. <laughs> and we both laughed because we knew that's not going to happen. But we could have. Maybe, uh, maybe you have... Uh, Oh, I, I won't tell you who. I, I a while back. This is years. Not not here. This is years ago. Another church. I uh, I was going somewhere to do something in the middle of the day. I think it's like two or three in the afternoon. And as I'm going, I pass by a little strip mall, and there's a movie theater there. And I saw because because the license plate, I saw somebody that would have been a higher up in my life, who was at the movie theater at two o'clock in the afternoon. And so I'm thinking, what would they be seeing at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? There's no Christian film showing. What's so and I, I got back, I came back through later, and uh, that car was still there. And uh, I, I talked to this person later and said, I saw your car at the, uh, I think you were at the theater. Were you at the theater about 3 o'clock yesterday? Yep. What did you go see? And there was this hesitation to tell me. And finally, this person told me, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you went to see what? It was like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie or something. I'm like, why would you do that? Like, you're my boss. You're above me. Like, what are you doing in the afternoon going to watch that? I, I just, and you know what? He was depressed. Pulled in. You blank out watching a movie. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, you always want your staff back. I mean, you got to be there till 5, 6 o'clock sometimes, and you're watching a movie at 3 o'clock. Man, you got really got a problem. And we talked, and we talked, talked it out, and prayed about it. But I thought, you know, that could have been a huge judgmental moment. I could have taken that and run with it. I could have talked to somebody else and said, do you know what? So-and-so was in the theater at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they were watching this. And that would have been a crucifixion moment for that person. Today, uh, we see uh, with the whole Trump thing and all the news, all the, all the nonsense, all the name-calling, all the lying, all the deceit, all the handing off, we're just in the midst of all this mess. And it's just reflective of the fact that when I choose to do something, I must be remindful of the fact that if there's an inkling of guilt, even in how I'm using it or when I'm making a choice to do something, I must realize that that is sin if I'm understanding God speaking to me about that in that way. These principles are here, folks, to protect us. They're here to, they're here to guide us as we make choices. Every one of you has a list of things that you would like to do. Some of you have been grown up in homes like I did. You grew up in a home where you just you weren't allowed to do hardly anything. I mean, I, I'm one of those kids who sat and watched the prom happen, and I sat at home because it was against the rules for me to go when I was raised. My best friends next door, the next-door neighbors had a huge after-prom party in their yard, decorated to the max and had a big dance and all that. And I'm sitting on the porch as a, you know, like a sophomore going, because <laughs> I was so denied. Quite frankly, it would not have changed my life. I'm glad I am who I am. And uh, my parents weren't wrong because I can't be trusted in those kinds of environments as a kid. I would have gone hog wild out there if they would have let me. 
but they had a noose around my neck and had my hands tied behind my back most times. <laughs> How you raise your kids is up to you. How you have your family is up to you. What you choose to do. Uh, how you, where you choose to eat, what you choose to drink, uh, you know, all the decisions that we can make in our lives about all kinds of stuff. I've heard, I've heard little, uh, little rumors around here about, uh, well, my kids go to this school and my kids are going to that school. And you, you got to be careful that we don't start, you know, putting people in categories and judging and criticizing because they're not like we are. But on the other hand, let's just be careful that our decisions are honoring to Christ, pleasing to him, not stumbling block, make sure these decisions are in our own conscience that we know are absolutely right before God. Now, I have just hopefully enough time to finish with this. I said I was going to speak on this, and here we go. I want to talk about a general issue of concern, and it's in the area of alcoholic beverages. Hold on to your seat. Here we go. I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and what I'm going to do I'm not talking about you. I'm only talking about me and everybody here who I call a spiritual leader. So if you're an elder, deacon, Bible teacher slash leader, you are especially on target with this text. Everyone else, take a breath of fresh air. You're, you're not on the hook here. Let me read this very quickly, and I'm just going to highlight one area. Uh, this is about the calling to be, uh, uh, it says that who, whoever desires to be a bishop, or a, uh, that word can also mean overseer. It's a word that actually means spiritual leader. Uh, it's the assumption this person is an elder. So we have an elder who's assigned to leadership, overseer or bishop is what that means. So he says it's a, it's a good thing to desire that work. Then he goes on to give some criteria. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, uh, and so on and so on. Sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. And here it is right here in verse 3. Not given to wine. Now, I want you to go down to the uh, call to deacons, the, the qualifications of a deacon. And you'll see uh, something very similar here. Uh, and in the deacon's case... Verse 8, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. Now, how many of you have, if you have a Bible with a concordance in the middle or you have some kind of a notations in your Bible, how many of you have the word given in italics with a footnote and a translation? If you have a Bible like mine, you have those. If you have a study Bible. Because all the translations in all the Bibles say the word means addicted. Given is addicted. It's the worst translation possible. Whoever came up with that had an underlying motive. It's not what that word is supposed to mean. Now, before I go on, let me uh, help us process how to think about this. I want you to go and look uh, in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, where Paul's speaking to Timothy. Timothy's a young elder. And he says in verse 23, no longer drink, watch this, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. Paul wants, uh, uh, at least for us, me to understand the word given has been mistranslated. It does not mean addicted. 
It can mean that, but that's not what it means here. And then obviously, on Timothy's side, he's reminding Timothy, don't drink just only water. Obviously, Timothy is a one who's emulating and following Paul, uh, having that sort of operation. And then he has some stomach trouble. Paul says, take a little wine for your stomach. And uh, we go back to that translation. If you understand that translation and you apply it the way it's being said, that means all pastors are not to be addicted to wine. Thank you, Jesus. If I'm not addicted, I can take it to the max. Matter of fact, addicted is such a level that I can get drunk as long as I'm not addicted. I can get a little binge as long as I'm not addicted. I can be just like everybody else as long as I'm not addicted. Uh, Deacons, guess what? Uh, You give a little more leeway. You're not given or addicted to much wine. That almost sounds like an oxymoron. If you're addicted, you've gone all the way. So how can you be addicted to much wine? It, it's just a terrible translation. And what's happened is that all my fellow elders out there in the universe who see that idea that this word means addicted have taken that and run with that as a license to just slug it down and be like everybody else and lead the pack. Who was it? Chris, you were telling me what? Last week, about a pastor you knew about who was basically doing that, drinking and leading in the drinking. Is that what you said, kind of? He's nodding. Uh, I'm affirming that he's nodding, that he told me that last week, a story about somebody he knows. Those dear ladies that invited Dave and I to the table were uh, enjoying themselves, I can tell you. More than one pitcher was going down between three of them. Uh, there's, There's this understanding that elders in our day have this sort of sense of freedom to, I think, even drink sometimes to excess and not worry about any any issue from the Word of God. Matter of fact, they're trying to say this, but I think that that's a very poor idea and translation, and I think it's one that has caused a lot of problems. The word given, if you uh, look that up in many different uh, translations and many different, if you use Strong's or other kinds of word uh, definitions, it, it adds some color. The word given can also mean surrendered to, it can mean yielded to, it can mean leaning toward. The idea here, obviously, is that I would not lean myself toward something that others can do. So uh, a bishop or an elder who's, who's, uh, uh, an elder who's a bishop or a, a leader in the church is told uh, not to be given to wine. I'm not going to lead toward wine. I'm not going to be a, a user of wine. But uh, a board member on the board as a deacon, not to be uh, leaning toward much wine. Now, I'm holding our board to a higher standard, just so you know. They've got to be like me. And they've heard this. But let me, uh, let me take it to the nth degree here. Let me follow this down. I want to take you to uh, Proverbs 23. This is where I probably have landed years ago on this decision. Let me take you first to Proverbs 31, then we'll go back to 23. In Proverbs 31... This is a text that begins by the words of King Lemuel. Some think this is another word for uh, Solomon, but uh, it's certainly written to a king. The words of, of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. So mommy taught the king this. What, my son, and what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. So she's talking about leadership 
and selling yourself out to things that will destroy leadership influence for God. Look what in verse 4 says. It is not for kings, and I'm inserting the word leaders here. It is not for spiritual leaders or kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes, those who are in the process of being a king or a leader, or princes intoxicating drink. We could add uh, wine here, intoxicating. We're, we're getting the sense of something stronger. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. He says, instead, give, give strong drink to him who is perishing. and Give wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. That, that, there's a purpose in uh, others who might need something to block out what's happening in their life. I like the old westerns where a guy gets shot and they have to slug down a, you know, a, f- a fifth of alcohol to uh, block out the pain. Then they dig the bullet out and the guy still screams. I, I, I like those kinds of things, but it doesn't work that fast. You have to wait a while, I guess. Chapter 23. Chapter 23 of Proverbs. This is the wisdom of God to all of us who are in leadership. Let me start at verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of the eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. This is an ad for TV. I see this all the time, TV, you know. When I was a kid, the Cubs, I, used to, I lived near, near Chicago, so the Cubs were my team. As you all know, they, they won the World Series uh, uh, two years ago. God bless them. Anyway, uh, when I grew up, uh, Ham's beer was the beer for the Cubs. Ham's beer. And so, and it was always this beaver in the woods with his beaver tail, and he would, he would beat this, this rhythm out on a log. It's a cartoon. Boom, 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 boom. From the land of sky blue waters, boom, 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 comes the beer that is so refreshing. Ham's the big refresher. Ham's da 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 da. As a little kid, I just loved that ad, as you can tell. It completely mesmerized me as a kid. And I grew up thinking, that must taste really good. To which my parents would say, don't even think about it. <laughs> this is what it's all about. It's marketing what looks so wonderful, what's going to just encourage you, give you friends, bless your life. You're going to have a new car if you drink this. I mean, it's just ridiculous what's out there. And so here's the wisdom of God saying, don't even look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles. In the... I had a friend who was an alcoholic. I led him to the Christ. He's in heaven today. And uh, this is exactly how Lee was, Lee Norman, my friend from Illyria. Lee Norman is in heaven. But I'm telling you, this is exactly how he would describe it to me. If he saw or heard the swirl of something being poured in a glass, and it looked like one of his drinks, that was enough to salivate him to the bar. John and Shirley Dowie. He could not, if he could avoid it, he was okay, but it was just a draw on his life when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. 
Notice what it says in verse 32. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. But I I really find this interesting because it's so true at the end of verse 35. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? It never satisfies. Now, I'm talking to those, again, who are elders, who are leaders, who are pursuing Christ to be representatives of him to others. I'm calling you to understand what the word is saying to us. It is not for me. I'm telling you as your pastor that if you ever catch me drinking or you find me in a bar, you better just fire me because I'm in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. It's not for me. But I'm telling our leaders it's not for them either. Here's the thing. The world, the, think about the world. I'm thinking about the evil ones who are in the world. Okay? They know how to package an appeal for fleshly sin. The world knows how to do that. The evil one knows us all well enough to know exactly what it would take to tantalize our fleshly senses. He knows how to do that. If there's any way that Satan can, you know, obviously draw us out of fellowship with Christ, I'm going to tell you this, and in the subtlest of ways he'll do this, that's his strategy. It's always subtle. It's targeted. He knows what will trip a switch in my mind. And so that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 11, that we must put on the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I take a stand on that. There are many other things. And by the way, let me go back. One more thing I want to say, and I'll be done. I want to go back here in chapter 23 of Proverbs. And I want to remind us, this isn't just talking about drink. And, and, and that's why I think there's, there's a preface to this. When he, when he uh, leads us actually into that sequence of verses, there is a, there is a, a letter, a, a beginning stage here. If you go back and look at verse 26, it leads into that section. Read this with me. It says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Then he says, For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. So it's not just about drinking. This is all about anything that catches your eye, catches your mind, draws you into itself so that it becomes an all-consuming thing that you just really feel like you need to do. Now, when I go by uh, uh, in the grocery store and I go buy certain cold cereals, that's exactly what happens to me. They call out and they draw me. And it's trash, and it's not good for me, but I'll go to that and go, oh, I really love that with milk. Oh, that's going to be so good. You know why I use those dumb illustrations? Because I don't have any other ones to give you. <laughs> so you've got to take the stupid ones. I'm just saying, we must be so careful. The choices we make, the decisions we have, the freedoms that we have in Christ can be glorious in the sense I have freedoms to do certain things that maybe others have made the Ten Commandment rules or the 50, 100 uh, commands that I can't do, and I think that's wrong. I've told you, we don't have commands and laws here, but we have the Word of God that guides us, gives us wisdom, how to think, how to process. 
Now, I said that that was for me, that last little study as an elder. But let me just hand this off to you. If you're the pastor of your home, if you're the leader of your kids, all of these things are responsibilities. How we process God's word, how we exercise freedoms in front of our kids, and we train them and we raise them, and we want to be very careful how we do that. That family I told you about in Canada that has great kids, I say they're an exception to the rule. God graced them. Other things in their life are so wonderful that God maybe just blessed them and graced them that their kids were not rebellious. But I've been the youth pastor of many rebellious, troubled students who would say the opposite. My parents were hypocrites. My parents would be involved in church. They'd be on committees. They'd be uh, the worship leader, whatever. And when they get home, they're completely not the same people. If you only knew them at home, you know what I'm talking about. We are so responsible to be who Christ has called us to be because we are affecting everyone else around us, even if we don't think so. Even if you go to a movie and you don't know anyone's watching you, someone's going to see you in the wrong place at the wrong time. If you come out of the casino, I will hope that you just were using the washroom. Who knows? Let's be careful that we exercise freedoms in the right way. Can we do that? One last thing. I just passed through my brain. I'll say it. But when I came to this church, I came from Kentucky. The church I was in was in the process. They had just brought a new pastor on. That was a devastating decision, but they brought him on. And uh, after I left, I came up here, and I kept hearing these rumors. One of the uh, elders in the church somehow discovered that as he went on certain trips on a regular basis, he was going to Las Vegas, and he was gambling. This guy got on a plane and followed him took a picture, brought it back, told his board, this is what your pastor's been doing on uh, the 1st and the 25th, and the, he had some dates. Just because you distance yourself from the church doesn't mean that Christ is going to let you just go without calling you on it. It can be anything. Who knows what it is that you might be involved in? Be careful. Whatever we do, is it pleasing Christ? Am I trying to encourage you and build you up in what I do? Somehow together, we're all in this together to be more like Christ and to glorify him above all things, right? Lord, as we uh, process all of this, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask your power over our lives because sometimes we have a tendency to drift. Sometimes we just don't see the battle and we sometimes discover way too late that we're in too deep. Lord, we're, we're human beings. We're still carrying about in this body, the the curse of sin, though we've been forgiven for it, it still affects us, and we still have to maintain a a right relationship with you. And we know that we can have a blessing in our life to encourage others and to represent Jesus, but we also know we can hurt others by having forgotten that. Help us to walk as you've called us to in a worthy way, because it's all about you and lifting you up, honoring you, May we not forget that tomorrow. We give all the praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ, praying that those who do not know you, O Lord, would find you as Lord and Savior. Take us and lead us to be more like you tomorrow, we pray in Christ's name. All God's people said.